When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple. We've got a special guest, my buddy Rich McLeod from Just Nets. Rich, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Good to be here. Good to have you here. This is fun, man. I think, um, you know, we, we've mixed it up on Twitter more, more, you know, more than <laughs> once. We've butted heads a few times. Um, we've since mm-hmm. connected. I'm really looking forward to, to having some fun. Enemies becoming friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, enemy, I mean, you know, enemies is a strong word. I think I just ran my mouth off maybe once or twice. And uh, <laughs> very much on brand. Twitter enemies are not, yeah, Twitter enemies are not as uh, serious as actual enemies. <laughs> this is true. And thank goodness for that. Um, and it's funny, I guess, you know, crossing paths during the Mets season where, you know, this is a team that was playing good baseball, winning 101 games, but still um, me and you had very, I guess, opposite views from uh, from different ends of the spectrum when it came to the, to, to the 2022 Mets. Yeah, I think a lot. I think we were probably aligned for most of the season, if I had to guess. Um, but the last, I would say, five to six weeks really kind of changed the the viewpoint that I will have about this team going forward. Um, and, and definitely like the viewpoint I've had in the last, you know, it's been about a, three weeks closing in on a month to since they got eliminated. And it's definitely painted a different picture than I, what I thought this season was going to be for a long time. Oh, Absolutely. You know, it felt special all, all year. And, um, you know, and then mm-hmm. things started, as we've seen it happen so many times, uh, things started getting not as, you know, bright and shiny. Uh, you know, losses that should have been wins, lost series that should have been won series, you know, getting absolutely spanked by Atlanta. It, you know, mm-hmm. 
I, I don't want to, I mean, there are certainly holes to fill on this roster, but I don't necessarily feel like it wasn't the, the production value of this team. I think it was more along the lines of they can, they kind of, at least from an outside perspective, it feels like they came up flat in the biggest spots. And I don't know what that kind of stems from. I don't even know if that's certainly something that you can put your finger on, but it, uh, you know, that magic, that special feeling that you had all season, boy, that just slowly trickled away until there was nothing left. Yeah. Um, I feel like if you try to put your finger on it, like you said, like in some areas it's a little tough because baseball is a really weird sport like that. And sometimes it can just go away. Conversely, sometimes it can just turn on. There's a team in the world series right now that I don't care to discuss too much. Uh, but they're, they're in the world series and you know, I, I would argue they didn't even deserve to make the playoffs, but they got hot the second that the calendar turned the Mets did the opposite. And sometimes that happens and sometimes you just have to chalk it up. I do think that there were maybe some warning signs that, you know, when you're winning games, you don't really, see things as warning signs, right? Because they're winning games, who cares? Uh, or sometimes you don't even think that they're warning signs at all, you know, cause they're not necessarily negative, but you know, their offense for three, four months specifically was really predicated on like getting, you know, moving the line, sustained rallies of multiple hits. A lot of it was with two outs and, on one end of that, you're like, hey, this is an area this team has struggled with so badly for the last several years. You know, in, in 2021, I thought it was probably one of their biggest problems when that when that team fell apart. Uh, not that they were ever nearly as good as this team was. And for years before that, you know, they never got the big hit with runners in scoring position. Definitely not with two outs. Uh, certainly not with the bases loaded, though this year's team also struggled with the bases loaded. Uh, pretty good amount, but part of, and so that's the, the good part, but on the other side of it, you know, you can't necessarily rely on always getting the big two out single and then another single and then a double, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to score a couple runs on one swing, you know, preferably you would like to have a balance there where you're not home run reliant or you're not trying to be the 2015 Royals uh, and you'd like to be somewhere in the middle. And I think they ultimately wound up being more like the Royals, though a lesser version of that offense, because it's just really hard to sustain that for a whole year. And I think you saw that in September and continuing into October that those hits kind of went away and they didn't magically start hitting more home runs, you know, cause they were never, a big home run hitting team. And so when those two out hits go away, so did a lot of the runs. Yeah. I mean, you're playing with fire. I mean, it was, I agree. It was really cool to see this team come up big in, you know, two outs runners scoring, scoring position, just men on base. It was refreshing. Um, and don't get me wrong. I like the contact ball. I think that there's a place for it in today's game, but on the, you know, in the same respect, like you said, you need, the ability to, to pick up two, three runs at a time, especially when you get to the postseason. I mean, um, you know, the, the Mets, 
arguably that was probably their, you know, their their Achilles heel. Um, you know, you could look towards poor pitching performances in the playoffs and however you want to look at it. But yeah, I mean, you look at September when, well, first you look at August and, you know, Mark Canna was having a huge month. McNeil had a big month. Escobar finally came around. Everything was really hitting on all cylinders. And then you get to September and, you know, only a couple of those pistons are still firing. Um, it's tough to mm-hmm. keep momentum, especially when you got a team like Atlanta breathing down your neck. Uh, it's almost like, you know, I think I've said it here uh, in previous shows, you, you almost felt the pressure build with every game, every at bat, every pitch. And uh, the Mets, yeah. they just didn't respond to it. Yeah. And I think that's more of like the intangible that you spoke to, right? Of, you know, on paper, this is one of the oldest teams in baseball. There was a lot of individual experience with, you know, Buck Showalter, Max Scherzer, uh, DeGrom obviously had his experience quite a while ago in one postseason, but he had, you know, his experiences, Escobar, Canna, a lot of these guys haven't been in the postseason before, been around the game for a long time. Uh, Buck Showalter, obviously. And, but as a group, it was still pretty new. Uh, you know, Francisco Lindor played in the World Series, but, you know, there's a lot of a big different circumstance. Uh, he was playing in Cleveland. You know, the, the, their collective, the Mets as a collective had not done this before. And, and maybe eventually that got to them, even though they had a lot of veteran leadership that they didn't have last year. You know, it, it seemed like it did slowly seep in over time and I don't even know that we a hundred percent realized that it was happening until it was almost too late. You know, it was kind of one of those things where they were good in August, but like the back half of August, they were just kind of like, okay. You know, they had that big series win against the Dodgers to end the month and start September. Uh, and then they started playing poorly after that, but it wasn't like they weren't playing horrifically it was just they weren't playing great and it got to this point where you weren't necessarily worried but it was more of this thing of like hey like this team's 40 games over 500 but it feels like they haven't been super fun to watch for like three weeks that's kind of weird isn't it and then they got swept by the cubs and then that i think was the first moment of like oh shit uh something might be up here and i think it took some people a really long time to feel that way and i think it took some Met fans, like I've, I've used the term Mets PTSD before. I don't mean to like trivialize that, but you know, like the Mets trauma that you've been through as a fan before. For some people, it it eked out, it eked back up really fast, and then for others, I don't think it came until later. Yeah, I was in the um, I was in the latter portion of of those of those two, and I wanted to say, oh no, this is me, and I did. I said it a bunch. I'm like, no, this is baseball. It's a lull. It's it's you know they're gonna swing back. This team's too good, and they just never swung back. And you know, mm-hmm. uh, this same thing happened last year. Uh, you know, I'm, oh, they're gonna be fine, and they weren't fine. It's probably just me protecting myself from <laughs> from uh, yeah. getting too wrapped up, and you know, that's probably a whole nother can of worms that I'll never open on this. <laughs> um, it, it's, I think it's, it's like I think both <laughs> ways. It's a it's protective. It's just people protecting themselves in different ways. Like I think when people are negative like that, they're almost kind of 
a piece of them is giving up so that when it does happen, it hurts like a little bit less, <laughs> even though like it still always hurts. There was, I think there was two people. It's weird because people who like read our, the just met site or follow me on Twitter, they might remember me from this season being like very negative because I think that I rightly was over the last month of the year, but the first five months, I spent writing about this team like they're different. They're special. They're not the same old team. And they're like, and they were earning that and they were proving that wrong. You know, every crazy comeback that they had, every game that you walked away from, like they lose this game the last 10 years or, you know, like big moments like the no hitters or special performances and stuff. You know, that was all like building up this like cachet to prove to yourself that like it was different. And then they just started to chip away at it. And, you know, it, in the end, it, it kind of got to me a little sooner. And part of that was me protecting myself in a different way, even <laughs> though at the end of the day, I walked out of city field after a game three loss of the Padres feeling incredibly depressed and kind of like, I'll never be done with baseball, but it's the most like emotionally removed I was from it because I have not watched a single baseball game since I left City Field. Really? Uh, I have not watched I've not watched the post I've not watched the postseason. Normally I would still watch it. It was just I don't know why this the end of this run has hit me so much worse than others. I think maybe it was like part of me felt like it was, it was different. You know, you kind of like believed and then it was like you got dumped and you didn't see it coming. And you, and you just like kind of walk away. Like what the hell just happened? I need some time away from this. And <laughs> ultimately I just like, I struggled to watch at first because I was just kind of sour and a little like as depressed as you can get about a sport. That's where I was. Yeah. And then now it's like, as the Phillies have continued to play, there's just a bitterness on my part where I just can't watch it. Uh, and I really, I think I just need that kind of break until the off season officially starts, which will be in a couple of weeks. And then, you know, we'll start to get it back in gear. We've, we've mostly paused our newsletter too, because there's just nothing to write about yeah. uh, on a daily basis at this point. And I think that I needed that break and I respect people who are completely different or, still watching the postseason part of me wishes that I, I could have because I've still been following it. I know what's been going on, but I just haven't had the heart to, to watch any of these games. No, I've been enjoying it. And, and I'm, I guess I'm probably strange like that. Like, you know, I was on the train home from game three and I was already like, yeah, you know what? You know, it happens. We're as Mets fans. I guess we're used to it. Um, I can, you know, kind of bright side my way back into, oh, okay, well, another year's coming up. Um, you know, 101 wins is nothing to shake a stick at. It's really disappointing how it finished. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I can I can go ahead and step into the postseason and just enjoy baseball like and, and have no problem doing it. Like, um, I was enjoying – I'm enjoying watching the Phillies. I have no shame in admitting that. Um, that's a really fun offense. I still really – you know, enjoy Zach Wheeler as a player. Yeah, I find little things to enjoy. And I, maybe I'm just, you know, different or weird or strange or whatever. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't knock people who, who who can't watch the Phillies. 
like I, I get it. I completely get it. Just, um, yeah, for some reason I could turn off that switch very quickly. Yeah. I wish I could, cause it would make things easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why I'm so detached. Like, Oh yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all good if they lose because they'll, they have another game tomorrow. It's like, Oh man. You know, I, I, yeah. I have to say to myself, like, am I really this delusional or just, no, I'm optimistic <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. I think sometimes it's earned and sometimes it's like, you know, like last year, I, I think we had more issues last year because I was like, this team's not that good. And it, it like almost bothered me when people were like, no, they're, they're fine. Like they're, they're good. But like this year, like, I think it was very valid to make that argument up until like, even like, like I disagreed with people who were like, they're fine uh, in the last, like probably two weeks of September. But like, you know, you had five months before that to base your argument off of. So I, I thought it was a totally valid argument to make, especially in a year like this. Sure. And I think, you know, and even heading into the San Diego series, me and, and you know, all my optimism, I said it here on the show. I said, you know, San Diego matches up really well against the Mets. And, you know, this could be a series. This won't be a walkover um, by any means, I don't think. And, you know, it, it ended up how it ended up. But, you know, you look at this group, and I know you mentioned before it's an older group, but it was a an inexperienced, you know, postseason-wise group. I kind of look at this year and say, well, you know, as fun and as depressing as it was how it finished, it's almost um, – you know, the first of many, or at least, you know, for this group, the first of a few, hopefully. And, you know, mm. it, it kind of makes you wonder if, if this letdown adds some, you know, scruff to the necks of these guys. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it can go either way. Like, I can <laughs> do the devil's advocate thing because not that I want to. I, I, I certainly want this to, to be the beginning of something because like there's a lot of, there are core players here that are, that are young that you think are going to be here for a long time. Like obviously Lindor is locked up for about a decade. Pete, you know, you have to think they'll take care of him in a year or two. Um, I'm sure Diaz will be back and there'll be, you know, there'll be core guys that are here for a part of it. You know, Alvarez is going to be here for a long time. Sure. We didn't really get a fair shake, but like I said, you know, they have, what is it? Seven major free agents. Yeah. Uh, they're obviously, they're not keeping all of them. I don't even know if they'll keep half of them. Uh, just cause like, that's hard to do. We saw last year. Uh, and I do think it was, I think last year's a little bit different because I think that they let a lot of people go last year as part of a culture shift mm -hmm. in the clubhouse. Um, that worked out well. Was just like, <laughs> I think that worked out. Which it did. Yeah. You know, like there was a lot of guys that they, they let go and like, you know, not to say like, not to single anybody out or say like, this guy was bad. This guy was bad. But you know, they had, a, they clearly had clubhouse issues last year with an inexperienced manager and a lot of players who like weren't super, you know, experienced, but had a lot to say or sometimes didn't have a lot to say. And, they got a lot of those guys out. I think all the free agents they had last year, they let all of them leave. I don't think they re-signed anybody. Um, this year, I don't think that'll be completely the same because I think they 
they like a lot of these guys who are pending free agents, but just in terms of practicality, you know, they're not all going to be back. There's yeah. a lot of old players on this team. Like maybe Max Scherzer had two bad starts or maybe he's breaking down because he's getting close to 40 and he was on the injured list twice. You know, you, you, you rely on the resume, but you also have to respect, you know, father time at some point. Uh, so you hope that that's not the case with him, but you know, you're not a hundred, you're not a hundred percent guaranteed to get the old Max Scherzer going forward. You know, you don't know if DeGrom's going to be back. You don't know if Bassett or Carrasco or Walker are going to be back. Yeah. Uh, and there's, so there's a lot of, there's a lot in flux where it's like this team could be marketably different looking next year. And then, you know, who knows? Um, the 25th, you know, 2006, we thought it was the beginning of something and it was the unofficial end. Uh, <laughs> 2015, a little bit different, but you know, they had all those pitchers were young and under contract and they did make the playoffs the next year, but they were kind of an un, you know, they made it, but they were an unserious candidate to go on. And then they were bad for five years. Um, so it's, I want to believe it because I do think there are core pieces in place. I think that Buck Showalter is at least good enough to get you to the postseason fairly regularly. And obviously I believe that the owner is going to spend money, but you know, franchises have to earn that belief that you're going to be perennially in the playoffs and the Mets have never perennially been in the playoffs. So while I definitely think it's possible, definitely hoping that this is the beginning, uh, part of the practical negative side of me is also like, well, there's a lot of, a lot of that's going to be determined in the next couple of months before they even play games. Oh, absolutely. You want to, uh, we'll take a quick break and then I guess play a little lightning round and talk about, uh, I guess who's on the docket and where this team might, might be heading, uh, come, come spring trading, what they might look like. Sounds good. All right. All right, guys, let's take a quick break here from the, uh, the, from the sponsors and uh, hang tight. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. We are back again. Uh, Rich McLeod from Just Mets joining us. We're having a good time. We're, I guess, absorbing, digesting. Um, probably one of the most um, <laughs> let downy 101 win seasons in, uh, at least in New York baseball history. Um, it's weird to say. <laughs> it, you know, it's. <laughs> 
the Mets, it is what? This is their, I want to say their second most wins in franchise history. Mm, yeah, it's uh, 86 is the most. And then this surpassed, uh, I think they had a couple of 100 and 100 win seasons. I yeah, think yeah 88 is, and 69. Mm-hmm. In 88, they did it in 160 games. That is true. So, and so a lot of people older than I, because I was born in 1990, would say the end of this season had a lot of similarities to the end of 88. Uh, and that was kind of the end of something for those Mets. And like we were talking about before the break, hopefully this is the beginning of, of that run. Well, you know, they, and I think you brought up a good point when you, you brought up 06. Because, man, they made all the right moves. 05, 06, mm-hmm. they built a monster, and they fell short. And I think there's a good parallel to make there between 06 and this year, where, yeah, this team fell short. Of course, not as, not, not as close as the 06 team in the NLCS, but that, that 06 team, they tried to plug holes. Uh, they you know quickly realized that wasn't going to work. You actually have to mm-hmm. go ahead and make progress. And I think for this group now, I mean, you're looking at internal options and, you know, we can go through them one by one and just, you know, you have to make a push at, at Jake naturally. Um, yep. Diaz, I think the same. I, I don't know if he's going to, you know, if his salary is going to go astronomical, but, you know, that's a push. I think Brandon Nimmo is probably an area that, if I'm the Mets, I'm internally debating whether I want to invest long-term in Brandon Nimmo. Don't get me wrong. He's a terrific ball player. When he's on the field, he is dynamic. He does a lot of things very, very well. This was just the second time in his career he's played 100-plus games. He's getting up there in age. Um, I think it's a very, very good conversation to have if you're – in the decision makers now and over the last probably few months is Brandon Nemo part of the future here. Yeah. Uh, I think that he is maybe the most interesting of the free agents, because I don't know that there is a clear answer. Uh, especially oh, if very you know, much. Rhetorical. They, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, very much rhetorical. Yeah. But that, you know, the vague, Rocky's report, you know, if, if, if the market for Brandon Nimmo is going to be, you know, $120 million, I don't, it doesn't matter that Steve Cohen can spend every cent to his name. I don't know. I don't know that you necessarily want to do that. Like I know Starling Marte is older, but you know, like Starling Marte is making what $78 million over the course of four years. And yeah, He's he's a better player. Oh, I would agree. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when yeah, Marte had Marte was hot, probably you know two thirds of the season this year, and you know missing him mm-hmm. down the stretch, you could point to that and be like, "Wow, that was uh, arguably a big reason that things kind of fell apart." Uh, it it definitely did not help. <laughs> it's sad. It is sad that of all of the pitches they were hit by this year and in their record setting year that one of them, and it seemed like eventually it had to happen that one of them was going to cost them. And it's such a tough spot. 
Everybody should be wearing the the Jeff. Do you remember the Jeff Bagwell? You might be a little too young. Jeff Bagwell was in the midst of like a, just a historical season. I want to say it was 95 or 96. Broke his hand, that top of the hand, and he came back wearing, this thing must have been a three-inch thick pad on the back of his hand. (laughs) It was huge. But, yeah, get him him for the whole – if it's going to be like this again next year, do whatever you got to do, man. I don't care if they're going up there in armor. Um, Yeah. There's got to be something behind that, but that's that's a a bridge that, you know, even my tinfoil hat won't cross. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably a mix of a lot of stuff. I'm sure some were intentional. Uh, they played a lot of crappy teams that have pitchers that have no idea where they're throwing, and specifically Washington and Pittsburgh. Um, um, and you know the Mets. The Mets do crowd. The Mets do crowd the plate too. Like I'm sure that has a big part to do with it. Sure. And Mark Hanna had a pretty good sense of humor about it. He was laughing about it. He's breaking records. He's laughing at first base. You know, I don't know. I you yeah. would have expected more than more than a few red asses by the end of the year, I think. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that. And I don't I don't know that that was like a warning sign, but I do I remember I had non Met fan friends who reached out to me over the course of the year, like, why aren't they more mad about this? Like start a fight, like show me something. And for I for most of the year I was like, ah, I don't know if that's necessary. And I and I don't I still don't probably think it was, but yeah, they they never seem to to get up like emotionally to that level. Um, so I don't know that it. I don't know that it actually means anything, or if it's really just like I'm mad and I want to see them get mad. <laughs> well, I think a lot of fan, you know, a lot of being a fan kind of is sharing that emotion, and you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Some people, I guess, are just more even keeled than others. And, you know, there's no wrong way to be a fan. And and it is what it is. But, uh, you know, it, it's especially this this fandom, being a Mets fan. I mean, this is it's mercurial, to say the least. <laughs> there's, um, That's a good word for it. <laughs> there's, it's a very, very wide, wide range of, of, of emotions. And, and I think, you know, if you're doing this right, you probably hit all of them at some point. And it, it's where, where you land on that spectrum, I guess. But, you know, um, mm-hmm. back to the, the moves. Adam Adovino. Adam yeah. Adovino is going to be a free agent after the World Series. I actually think he's just as important a piece. You know, I know he's getting up there in age, but his repertoire and his ability to get out and string together these, you know, 10, 15 appearance long stretches where he's just, you know, practically unhittable. Um, You know, that's, I think that's very important. I think you make a push to bring him back. Um, You know, can I I make one point up? Can I just say one thing about the Adovino thing that I think will be interesting is that I think they might approach it how they did with Aaron Luke last year, where, Another example of this front office, or at least Sandy Alderson, uh, who brought in a veteran reliever kind of like toward the back end of his career, not having great numbers, turned him into something and then let somebody else overpay him and then found a new one. I I could see them trying to get him back if, if his market isn't robust. I think that would be smart. 
But if somebody is going to give him like a multi-year offer, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just let him leave and said to themselves, okay, scouting department, like who's the next one of these guys we can find on the cheap and like turn into something for a year. Oh, for sure. You find someone whose you know, slider profile fits that big old sweeper that he has. Um, mm. You let Hefner and company kind of mess with it and tinker with it. Yeah, I think Drew Smith could really be a big, big piece, and he's going to be here for the next few years for sure. But um, my issue last year with Loop is that they never really replaced him. They never really went out and said, okay, you're our new left-hander. I mean, even, yeah. even at the trade deadline, they didn't really do that. Yeah, it should have been Chafin. It should have been Chafin twice, actually. <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's not like he got an obscene deal. You know, it's, yeah. Luke got like a pretty large contract. And ultimately, I, the Mets were right to not sign him to that. He wasn't great. And I think he got a, he got a, a Trevor May deal. Time. Right? It was like a Trevor May deal, 217 or something. Yes. I think he might have gotten three. Uh, year? I could be yeah. wrong. I I think so. I could be wrong about that. Um, but yeah, they definitely never addressed the left-hand side. They, I, I, I'll have to look at the available free agents from that side, but they definitely need to address just like the lefty side going into free agency for sure. I think or I if they want to just try to trade for Andrew Chafin again. <laughs> Third time's a charm, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to add power. You have to kind of address the DH spot. I, I Of course, I think you bring back Vogelback for, I think it's like $1.5 million is his option. I think that's a, a given, of course. But, you know, you really got to make an attempt to, to upgrade. And, um, you know, what if, you know, Jake opts out and does move on? which I, I still find it very unlikely. Um, you know, Bassett is in line for, I believe it's a mutual option at 19 million cookies on an option for 14 million. Actually, that was a vesting option. He didn't hit. I'm not sure what happens there, but um, Taiwan yeah. Walker's at 7.5. I think you probably pick that up as depth, but you know, if you have other options, especially if you have trade ideas or, you know, like you were saying before, you have your 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 analytics department and your scattering department kind of coming together and saying, look, we think that this guy can be a good piece, um, whether it be by a trade or, or, you know, on the market, whatever the case may be. I think that, you know, if they do move on from certain guys, they would be replaceable. But you kind of have to shake out and say, all right, you know, what happens if, you know, one domino falls, then you got to go chase down three more, uh, you know, in the pitching department mm. is pretty much directly where I'm looking. Yeah. And I, yeah, the pitching is going to be huge because just like you said, the entire rotation is basically a free agent uh, <laughs> because I think, I think all those pitchers are opting out. Um, so you're going to have a lot of decisions there. They're not all coming back. I probably wouldn't bring back Bassett. I changed my mind on him like eight different times. Really? Uh, and maybe it was recency bias. Maybe it was just like, I thought he made some tone deaf comments about New York and then crapped out in the two biggest games of the year. And maybe that's <laughs> not sitting well with me. And maybe that's emotional. Uh, I get that. I, I don't know that. if the, I don't know that I would bring him back. Like maybe he's not, not everybody can pitch here. Maybe like he did pitch well, like most of the year, but like maybe he's kind of like Sonny Gray. Like, you know, maybe he, 
it would do better in like a like a lower key situation than he would here. I don't I don't know, uh, but I do think in addition to that rotation, it, it they got to bring in a power bat and like a real power bat, not you know not Daniel Vogel back and Darren Ruff and hoping they combine to hit twenty homers, <laughs> uh, but you know are they gonna are they going to make a run at Aaron judge? It seems unrealistic, but like you have this owner. Why, why can't you at least go for it? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, let's say, okay, you know, they can't do it. Cause for whatever reason, Jose Abreu should be their DH. If they can't get Aaron judge, that dude mashes, he mashes lefties. He hits for power. You can put him in at DH, play him there for 140, 150 games, and you can have a pretty mean two, three, four with Lindor, Pete, Abreu. Oh, absolutely. And Abreu, you know, he hits from the right side. He hits for average. He hits for power. I mean, you just rattled off everything there. If that falls through, I know he loves Chicago, but if he does end up staying there, I think it's it, – it feels like things are kind of, um, you know, to go in their separate ways, but we shall see. I think JD Martinez could probably fit that that bill as well, and and you know, it's uh, certainly something to look at. If the Mets really want to go, you know, top shelf, you know, you look at Trey Turner, or Carlos Correa, and say, hey, what do you guys want to play third base? Trey Turner, you want to, mm-hmm. you know, move around. You want to be a super utility guy who could, you know score a hundred runs and drive in a hundred two. Like, you know, I think Trey Turner stays in, in LA personally. I think they throw all the money at him because he, to me is just the difference maker to a lot of teams. I just think he's so, you know, true seam heads know that he's the guy and, and people who are just kind of casual fans are like, oh, wow, he's exciting. Who's that guy? And it's like, oh, you know, he's had more F4 than any other player in baseball for the three years, but for the last three years. But, you know, not a lot of people are going to tell you about him. I love Trey Turner. I would spend everything on him and say, oh, where you want to play? We'll put you there. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, I don't know if he wants to play. You know, he's going to want to get paid like he's you're paying him at shortstop, but like, I mean, he was in the outfield for several years too with the Nationals. Sure, uh, you know you could you could put him in a lot of different roles uh, and move him around the diamond, kind of like how they use McNeil, but just at obviously a significantly higher price tag. <laughs> significantly. <laughs> um, I would definitely kick tires on Correa playing third base. I think you put him in a spot where he doesn't need to be the guy. And I think you'll get mm-hmm. real action out of him. And I think from the year he's coming off of his price tag, is going to be as exorbitant as it might have been uh, if they had dipped their toe in last year. Yeah, it's. I'm interested what he's going to do. He took, a, you know, with with the options on that, he really took a one year deal with an emergency fund attached to it. <laughs> uh, he's clearly going to opt out. wasn't Didn't have the greatest year. Like he wasn't bad. You know, he's. Over he was an over four win player, um, but yeah, you know is is he going to try to get you know like a five four five six year deal at this point maybe for less money than he was hoping because he doesn't want to take another prove it deal and then if he plays poorly then he's like 
you know, deteriorating in value every year. Um, Chopping his own. I think that's going to be fat. Yeah, I think that's going to be fascinating. I mean, it's clearly not. Minnesota is obviously not going to be able to resign him because their ownership doesn't spend money. Um, So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. Uh, It's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a really good time seeing it all shake. Yeah. Um, Rich, stressful, I guess but fun. Oh, well, that's the life of a Mets fan, dude. I can't thank you enough for coming on. That's pretty much all the time we got. Um, where can everybody follow you on, on social media? Yeah. So I'm just over at, at rich McLeod on Twitter. And you can also follow us at, uh, at underscore just Mets and go to justmets.net for our daily newsletter, which will be back online at the beginning of the off season. Awesome. And I hope we can have you back on at some point uh, later in the off season, chat it up and, and you guys know the sign off until then it's let's fucking go Mets. We'll see you guys next <laughs> time. All right. Peace.